Man, that was awesome. God is moving and, and people are getting baptized and people are committing their lives to him. And there's something just very refreshing about that kind of scene and that presence. I watched that. I want to get baptized again. Anybody else? I didn't get some really cool slow motion video of me coming up out of the water like that. Where was that when I got, I just was an awkward kid stammering through it when I was getting baptized. That was just incredible. Thank you for those who made the video happen and helped put all that together. Uh, really cool. Jesus said very clearly, repent and be baptized. Literally, like, turn from your sin, repent, turn from your sin, get baptized in water, and show that you are following after him. And Jesus said very clearly his purpose was to come to seek and save the lost. How many would say, I'm lost without a savior? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is this, that we all have to admit that we are sinners and we all need a savior. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery because it's such a great, uh, just clear place in scripture where they understand that Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. There's a lot of people in our world today, all they want from God is God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness. They don't understand that God is true and God is just. And there's people in our world who are only raised with the truth of God, the law of God, and they didn't have the love and the grace of God. But Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth, and he's the only one that is. So when this woman is caught in adultery, and then Jesus looks at her after he kind of scatters the crowd, and he said, where are those who condemn you? And she says, they're gone, no one's left. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And I love that the Lord doesn't condemn us in our sins. Neither do I can condemn you. That's the grace of God for her life and for your life, that God doesn't condemn us. But it's even better than that. He says, not only does he say, neither do I condemn you, but he doesn't just leave us there in our sin. But then he says, now go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but I love you enough to tell you, if you keep living this way, you will banish yourself from God's presence in heaven. So Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. I don't condemn you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You've got to go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. I hope in our church that we can make sure that we preach the truth of God, that we are living the truth of God, and we understand we never get self-righteous, and we understand we are all saved by God's grace, all of us. Even that sweet-looking person down the row, even that person on the couch next to you, we are all saved by God's grace because we're all sinners, some of you, you're really good sinners. I mean, you're overqualified. Uh, I, I just, sometimes I just think, Lord, you know, as, a, as, as far as a savior, like being my savior, that's a full-time job, right? He forgives us even of the thoughts that we think that no one else sees or knows. God is gracious and God is forgiving to you and to me. Um, if you have a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 5, and while we're going there, Luke chapter 5, uh, just some cool things. I'm going to give you an update on what we're doing in India because the giving of this church around the world is astounding, and I'm going to give you that update next week. It'll blow you away. Also, um, over the last month, we did make a double payment on our church's mortgage, which is going to save us tons of interest on top of that. And if you don't know, um, eight families that were struggling uh, because of the generosity of people this church, we were able to pay their utility bills uh, this month and possibly a little bit next month. So thank you for being a gracious, generous church to those um, in need. And if you're not in need, hallelujah, you get to be a giver. Sometimes we're on the receiving end. I'd, like, I'd rather be on the giving end, amen? And so I'm going to give you a report next week. It's going to just don't miss next week. You're going to want to hear that, all right? Cool. Luke chapter 5, also the stories in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. It is the text of Levi, or who we usually call Matthew, and, and the Bible, probably your Bible says the calling of, of Matthew. We're going to read it in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. This is what it says. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector, boo, just want to make sure you're there, a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. And so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his own, in his own home, and Jesus was the guest of honor at the tax collector's house. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Here it is. You ready for the line? If you don't have your Bible with you, this is what it says in my Bible, NLT. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? How do you really feel about these people that need God, right? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, because none of us are. I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. God, I pray today that you help us to be those kind of people who are not self-righteous, but we know we are sinners and we understand our need for repentance. We ask for your anointing and apply this scripture to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know everybody's job here, but I, I'm pretty sure that nobody here is sitting at a tax collector's booth and you're like, I'm a tax collector. And we, every time we talk about tax collectors in the scripture, we have to stop and explain it and make sure that we're all aware of it. Um, imagine the Romans coming in and overtaking the people of Israel, the people of God, and then they find somebody and they say, hey, you, we want you to be a turncoat and we want you to overtax your people. And so when your people come up to the booth, like you're one of them, you're a Jew, we're going to take gobs of their money, and you can take a little on the side if you want. You're going to be that traitor guy. It'd be a little bit like, how do we explain it in our world today? How would we understand someone coming? It'd be like if Canada invaded the U.S. No, that ain't going to work, right? And, I mean, how, how do we understand this, that, that we are taken over by another people, and then one of us, like, they go, hey, who's the most likely to just get as much money and tax, overtax the people, their own people? They find someone, in this case, his name's Levi or Matthew, say, hey, you'll be one. You'll be one. You're really, you're really into money, and so you'll be the one to tax the people and, and turn that money into Rome. Matthew is a turncoat tax collector. He seems like he might be a little bit like Zacchaeus, another tax collector. It's almost like Rome goes and finds these guys who don't have a lot of friends, who, who are really into money. In fact, maybe he's a little bit smaller like Zacchaeus, and he didn't have a lot of friends, and he kind of feels rejected. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to reject my own people as well. Jesus had said to his followers, if you have two tunics, give one to the one who has none. Zacchaeus has plenty of clothes, plenty of money. He just doesn't have a lot of real friends, especially among his own people. I believe that the longer he sat in that tax collector's booth, the emptier he became. Imagine thinking that you have all the world has to offer, and yet somehow you're still empty. Somehow you still are searching and longing for more. You've won the Super Bowl. You've won an Oscar. You've bought the home. You've dated the supermodel. You invested in Google and it didn't fulfill your life. What do you do next? This guy, Matthew, saw poor people. He saw honest people with richer and fuller lives than he had. And he had begun to, to see Jesus and the disciples. And listen, I think he began to realize that he was missing out on life. He has everything this world has to offer, and yet he realizes I'm missing out on my actual life. I'm settling for stuff. I'm settling for earthly riches. 
Here's point number one in the message today. You were created for more than the world has to offer. I love this because you were created, but you're not just created. You're created for more than this world has to offer. Wherever you go on the planet, whatever people can offer you, whatever status, whatever pleasure, anything you can find, you are created for more than that. Do you realize that? There's nothing you're going to find on this earth. You're going to be like, now I can die in peace, right? You're created for more than this world can even offer you. There's something spiritual about you. You're supernatural. You're created in the image of God. God placed eternity in the hearts of men, and finite things cannot, cannot satisfy an eternal longing in your life. Matthew had watched other men drop everything and follow Jesus. He saw the adventure. He saw the mission. He saw the purpose and the passion in their lives that his life was lacking. How could he give up such material blessing, but how could he not want what they have? Suddenly, it was his turn. Jesus comes along and speaks that one short sentence into his life, and everything gets real. There are times in your life where Jesus will just kind of point a finger at an area of your life or at your actual life, and it'll get really real. And it did for Matthew when Jesus looks at him and says, follow me and be my disciple. Don't be halfway in, halfway out. Follow me and be my... Imagine going, you, know, you realize you're talking to the guy that everybody else hates. All of our people don't like me. What are you talking about? You're going you're to invite me into your world? You're going to ask me to be one of your closest disciples? Follow me and be my disciple. He knew the life of purpose with Jesus would mean letting go of the old to grab onto the new. I wonder how many times you and I have to let go of what we have so we can grab on to what God has for us. Sometimes we want to hang on to this and try to reach this, and we can't quite reach it. And the only way we're going to reach what God has for us is to let go of what we have now. This is easy when you're young and you don't have anything and you're just kind of like, God, I just want you in my life. But if you start to amass some belongings, if you get a certain status, you know, if you have this job or you have these things you want to hang on to, and all of a sudden you go, I can't let go of what I have because I'm afraid to lose what I have. And you're no longer, you're no longer a hungry person for God's plan. Listen, I hope that throughout your life you can still let go of what you have to have what's better in your life to have what God has for you. His soul longed for more, and Jesus gave him that opportunity. But listen, doing what's right is rarely, if ever, convenient. Man, if your spiritual life is based on convenience, it's never going to be deep. Doing what's right is very rarely convenient. For Matthew, what was convenient would have been staying in the tax collector's booth, making incredible money while sitting on his bottom I'm a Christian. See, I saw that right there, right? <laughs> if you are looking through your natural eyes only, you're going, why would I give up this convenience? But you will miss the adventure that God has for you. You will think about that secure retirement, that safety, an environment where you won't be stretched more than you're comfortable, and you'll miss out on what God really has for you. Listen, I hope that God stretches you to the point that you are uncomfortable because that means you're growing spiritually. Some of you, you're so good at it. You, spiritually speaking, you see the pool. You see like the part you wade in. You see the deep end. And I know some of you, you run around to the deep end. You throw yourself in and you go, God, you're going to have to save me. I like hanging out with those kind of people. Those kind of people go on mission trips and they write checks and they love difficult people. And they go to places that some people in the church, they just don't have the guts to go, right? God, stretch me. Don't let me get comfortable. Listen, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. If you stay where you're comfortable, 
You don't get the life, the full life that God has for you. Matthew was sick of only having earthly things. He wanted more, more than uh, the world could offer, more significance, more purpose in his life. So when he was offered the chance to leave the tax collector position for being a disciple, he jumped. He surprised everyone, and he jumped. Listen, like you, Matthew was created for more than this world can offer. I think he waited for some time. I think he watched Jesus. I think he was envious of Peter and Andrew and James and John, these ordinary fishermen. And he saw that the, the joy that they had and, and what he dreamed of. And I think he made up his mind lying in bed when I, you know, if Jesus were to come up to me, if Jesus came up to my tax collectors with and he asked me to, to that life, I'd say yes. I really would. He's talking to himself, but he really, he really would do that. So here's the setting. Luke records uh, before this uh, place. He records Jesus' grace to a demoniac, someone who's uh, filled with demons, a leper, and a paralytic. And now he has grace also for a tax collector. No matter what your issue, uh, what your malady in your life, Jesus has grace for all of them. And now he's going to show grace to this person who's been living for this world alone. So if we really were to follow that example, if you have evil in you, if you have an infectious disease, if you have a physical impairment, um, if your job is considered unethical, you could have been one of those that Jesus showed love and grace to because Jesus liberates. Jesus brings freedom. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You're no longer living for this world. There's more for you. God has a better plan for you remaining in your sin. And he points out your sin. Why does he point out our sin? Man, and he does that in order that you can be free and to give you a real future in your life. Man, when God points out your issues, just thank him for it. Uh, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. You know, how loving is it for a parent to be like, you know, you're like seven, but go ahead and try cocaine and just see how that works for you, right? There's no love there, right? He points out that which is going to harm you because he loves you. This is what... Uh, I, I view it this way. Jesus walked in truth when it brought him praise. But Jesus walked in truth when it brought him opposition. Listen, Jesus wasn't always loved when he pointed out the truth to, to humans. And sometimes in this case, uh, they despised him for what he said and what he did as he spends time at a tax collector's home. Jesus endured angry glares from the masses, and he was okay with that. I think he modeled that for you and for me. Mark's gospel says it like this. Jesus went out to the lakeshore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. Ever since John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus had a following. John, in effect, handed the ball off to Jesus and said, here's the, here's the real Savior. I've just been preparing the way. And so Jesus went to the lakeshore where sound traveled well, and he taught the people. And then he left, and he walked back through the town. And this is what happened. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw the tax collector uh, named Levi or Matthew sitting at his collector's booth. Follow me, two key words. You can circle it in your Bible. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Jesus presents a very clear challenge. Listen, I'm not asking you to be nice. I'm not asking you to be a good citizen. I'm asking you a very clear question. Will you follow me? In that society, everybody knew. Disciple means where you go, I go, I will follow you. And Jesus looks him in the eye, as he does for you, and he says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? I'm asking you the question. You can say yes, you can say no, but will you follow me? Point number two is this. Those who claim to follow Jesus must emulate him. 
If we're his followers, it's going to play out in the way that we live our lives. Go as I go. Do as I do. And you start to say things like this. Jesus would go there, so I will too. Jesus would forgive this person, so I will choose to forgive them. Jesus wouldn't watch this, so I'm not going to watch this either. A follower. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You can serve the devil, you can serve yourself, or you can serve the Lord. Jesus walked right up to that tax collector's booth, and he said, listen, come and be my disciple. And the people might be thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Why would you, why would you bring this notorious outlaw? I mean, like when we talk about sinners, tax collectors are up at the top. He's a religious outcast. Aren't you glad that God calls people who are outcasts to serve him? Let me ask a question. What is a call from God? Is it an invitation? Is it a command? Can you say no? I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this, and this is what I came up with. What is a call from God? I think a call is a powerful ask from God to a life that is beyond you. It's bigger than you. And you can say no, but if you do, you will miss out on a divine adventure filled with a meaningful life, filled with meaningful life-changing moments. I think that there's something when God calls you, that's the exciting life. You're never going to have a more adventurous life than following the call of God in your life. You're not. You can say no, but he calls you. When Matthew was called, he walked away from Rome. He snubbed Rome. He left behind a very lucrative occupation to follow Jesus. By the way, if you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to make some people unhappy. You got to be okay with that. Trust me on this. When this life is over and you're standing before the Lord, man, and your soul is on the line, and there is heaven and there is hell, and eternity is on the line, you're not going to care what your in-laws thought about you at that moment. They're not the one righteous judge. It's not going to be about your boss. It's not going to be your spouse, not your pastor. There's only one righteous judge. He's the one. There's only one opinion that really counts, and that is the Lord's. And I believe this with all my heart. If you know you have God's approval, you no longer need the approval of men. That's my prayer for young people, is they're not doing all the wrong things to try to win the approval of others. But if they have the approval of God in their lives, they don't need all the peer pressure of others. I think some people went around and said, Matthew found Jesus, now I've heard everything. Man, he just doesn't fit the image. He's not what Jesus' people look like. I think Jesus would say, I didn't know my followers had an image. If you find Jesus' people all around the world, they look a lot different, don't they? Will you follow me? That's what's important. Tax collectors were despised. They were traitors. They were known as cheaters. In fact, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it says this, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? This is Jesus speaking. He says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Just pause and understand with me for a moment. When Jesus went for looking for an illustration about loving your enemies, he chose a tax collector. Even tax collectors do that. The people that you guys complain about the most, they do that. Consider this, the truth. There was so much at stake for him accepting Jesus' challenge uh, that there would be little possibility of returning to that job. Man, Matthew can't go, well, you know, I'm going to give this a try, and there's a money-back guarantee, and I can go back and get my job again. There are people lined up going, I'll take all that money. I'll go, I'll go take that job. I'm miserable. Matthew had seen Jesus in action. He got to know him. His heart was beginning to pound when Jesus spoke to him. But he wasn't quite following Jesus yet. Do you know that there's this place in life where a lot of us land, and we think Jesus is great, 
you know, and, and we want to be a, a kind person and a nice person, but we're not actually like full-fledged following Jesus. Like we've got saved, uh, but our money hasn't. You know, there's parts of our lives we've got saved, but our purity hasn't. And it's easy to, to kind of cheer Jesus on and say, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like him. I, I really appreciate Kyle Eidemann's book, Not a Fan. Uh, God used it to speak in my life so much. It's worth looking up if you haven't read it before. And he has this premise in this book that, that rocked my world. He said this, Jesus never asked you to be his fan. He asked you to be his follower. And he said there's a huge difference between a fan and a follower. Because a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. And Jesus has lots of them. Yay, Jesus. Go, God. Right? Uh, we read the Gospels um, about Jesus inviting people to follow him. Some people did, but a lot of people didn't. They went the opposite direction. Many of his fans turned, up a, 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 turned around and they went home when things got hard. When obedience became difficult. Fans had to make a decision. Am I a real follower or am I just a fan? And Jesus didn't chase after them. He didn't soften his message. He didn't say, well, you don't have to obey. It doesn't matter. Heaven's kind of a joke. Sin doesn't really matter. He didn't do that. He was okay that his popularity plummeted with people, and he let people choose whether they were going to really follow him or not. Listen, when we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus, we become nothing more than fans. And I think you and I want to be more than that. Jesus never asked you to be his fan. He never asked you uh, to like him. Jesus is asking you to follow him. Will you follow me? Jesus has lots of fans in Thurston County. He has tens of thousands of them. And he doesn't need to inflate his numbers. He, he doesn't want tacit approval. He wants people who really know him, who really serve him, who really feel conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who go out of their way when life costs them something to serve him. Listen, our mission in our church is making followers of Jesus and truth and grace. It's not making fans of Jesus. It's not creating attenders in church. It's not having large numbers. It's helping people to actually follow Jesus. That's the mission of the church. Follow is an important word. It's one who goes where his leader goes and does what his leader teaches him or her to do. And following Jesus messes up your life. It did for him. It did for Matthew. And it does for you and for me. Let me give you point number three. The door to forgiveness is open to all who walk through it. This is my favorite part. Because the door of forgiveness is open to people like me and people like you who are honest about the fact that we got sin in our lives and our first thought isn't to be like Jesus all the time. Forgiveness is open to people like you and me. Luke adds to our understanding, he says in verse 29, later Matthew held a banquet in his home. He actually has a banquet at his house and he has Jesus come as the guest of honor. How many like notorious sinners would be like, come to my house and meet Jesus? That's pretty cool. And many of his fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. What is that environment like when Jesus walks in? He's, no, no, he's not going to eat with these people, not in that culture. He's not going to sit with them and talk with them. How could he do that? How could he actually spend time with people who are, who are clearly not people who are following the Lord? Mark says it like this. He says, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with the tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Isn't that great? Many people understand, I am a sinner. They, like The whole world knows about it. I'm not even going to hide it. So I need Jesus. I'm going to follow him. There was no self-righteousness. They knew they were sinners. Wouldn't it be great if the church was not self-righteous, but everybody in church was like, I know I'm a sinner. That's why I'm here. 
I'm not here looking down on anybody. I'm here because I need a savior in my life. Drunks, harlots, cheaters, liars, violent people. And the disciples are like, um, Jesus, we shouldn't be here. And Jesus is like, actually, this is exactly where we should be. Somebody's probably going, Jesus, um, half the people at your table are intoxicated. And that lady over there, she slept with table nine and ten uh, the last month. And uh, Jesus, this is kind of not really our crowd because that guy accidentally told the truth last week, but normally he just lies all the time. He doesn't even realize he's lying. And that guy's like a notorious, like he just got out of jail because he's, he steals stuff. Like there's probably something from Matthew's like out in his like sack outside the, the gate, right? Like, what are we doing here, Jesus? And Jesus is making a point that everybody, everybody has a chance for forgiveness, Come on, that is good news for you and for me. He's illustrating true grace. The basis for entering the kingdom of God is not your bloodline. It's not how many times you go to church. It's not how much scripture you've memorized, but it's about receiving God's forgiveness. It's about repenting, being baptized, and following after him. Of course, there were fellow tax collectors there. Who did Matthew have as friends? And Matthew was proud to be a friend of Jesus. The scripture says the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Evidently, it wasn't a one-time event that Jesus often spent time with people who knew they had a need for a savior. Why does your teacher eat with these people? Why does he associate with them? Listen, all of us are sinners. If you serve the Lord for 60 years, 70 years, I hope that you don't look around one day and go, I don't have any friends who don't know the Lord. I just don't think that's biblical. I think every Christ follower is trying to minister to someone who hasn't made a decision about who's Lord of their life yet. Well, it's been COVID, pastor, so I've just kind of, you know, kind of stayed to myself. Everybody knows Jesus and the mission of God and the gospel that's penetrated your heart and the forgiveness you've received, you're going to turn around and offer that to somebody else. You're looking to do that for somebody else. Jesus enjoyed spending time with people who were spiritually lost, and they would acknowledge it. He said it like this in Luke chapter 7. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Listen, if you're following Jesus, someone sometime in your life is going to like blame you. They're going to accuse you of being a friend of sinners. And when that happens, you're going to say, hallelujah, I've arrived. You're a friend of church people. Yeah, duh, right? That's my job, all right? I mean, that's what I do. I want to be accused of being a friend of sinners. Jesus rolled up his sleeves and got in the dirt with the rest of us. Clearly, he's not one of us, but clearly he chose to be one of us. Because the Son of God is not too important to lower himself and get down to love people on their level. And we have to do the same. Jesus said, it's not the healthy people that need a doctor, but the sick people do. For the sake of time, I'm going to have to kind of wrap things up because we're going to receive communion in just a moment. In fact, if you're online and you want to run and grab something for communion, you can do that. I think what's important is Jesus makes real to us, especially if you're already following him or at least claim to follow him, that there are no righteous people apart from the work of the Lord in us. There are only self-righteous people. 
Jesus didn't come to call the self-righteous. He came to call sinners. If you're convinced of your goodness, if you're convinced that you really aren't a sinner or your sin doesn't matter or you're justifying your sin every day in your life, you're not going to be open to the message of the gospel. That your sin matters and it matters greatly and it separates you from God. But the love of God The shepherd pursues you to forgive you. Admitted sinners find in Jesus the hope they've been looking for. Listen, self-righteous people exist inside and outside the church. But what often exposes that is when there's a cost to following Jesus. And by the way, there's always a cost. Following Jesus costs you something. You'll change some of your friendships. You'll change your activities. You'll change the way you think. You'll feel convicted. You'll begin to give and serve in ways that you haven't. You don't just like be self-righteous, think your sin doesn't matter, find Jesus and keep on thinking your sin doesn't matter. Keep on thinking that you're, you know, fine the way you are. No, when Jesus comes in, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you're convicted. Not because your pastor says it, because the Holy Spirit in you convicts you. I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need a savior. So I'm going to dethrone myself as king of my life. And I'm going to invite Jesus to come in. And let him lead me to the better life that he has for me. I'm going to ask you today to make the decision. I'm not just a fan. I'm an actual follower. And I know that's going to cost me something. But that cost is worth it. Matthew discovered there's a life that money cannot buy. You were created for more than this world can offer. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I just want to ask you a few questions. Will you really follow Jesus? Let's just put it real plainly. Will you actually follow Jesus with your life? You can say no. You can say, I'm not sure. Or you can say yes. If you say yes, be prepared. Because that's a different kind of life. You're going to stand out in the world. Some of us don't want to stand out in the world. Will you admit your own sin? And will you continually seek God's grace? Will you be a friend of sinners and not self-righteous? Will you live for the Lord when it costs you greatly? Will you walk in the truth when it brings you praise and also when it brings you criticism? Will you give the Lord your sin and serve him with your life? So Lord, in this moment that we have, Lord, I know some of us are here today and we would honestly say, I'm not actually following Jesus. I don't obey his commands. And Lord, some of us, we have, we've had a laissez-faire attitude about our sin. Lord, today there's a new conviction in our souls. Jesus, there comes a point 
in Matthew's life and in my life where I have to make a decision. Am I going to accept the Savior's call, God's plan for my life? Would you just take a couple minutes and just talk to the Lord? If you have a communion cup with you or you've received one or maybe... um, Maybe even some ushers could walk through the crowd if you didn't get one. If you'd hang on to that, we'll explain it after this song. But I want to ask you right now, you just take maybe the next three or four minutes and just say, Lord, I don't want to be halfway. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower. Lord, convict me of my sin. Maybe you've never been baptized in water and you've got a lot of good excuses. Today's a great day to say no more excuses. Maybe you've been self-righteous. And maybe there's pockets of your life that you don't submit to the Lord. And today you say, God, I'll surrender. Would you take a few minutes and just be so real and sincere with our God, our Lord, and our Savior. We're gonna sing a song together. We're just gonna wait on God. Let him minister and speak to you. And in a few minutes we'll receive communion.
I don't need you. I hope that's never your statement to God. When we reject the cross and the resurrection, Jesus, it's great that you like went and died on the cross for the sins of mankind and my sins, but I didn't really need it. I was kind of fine without the resurrection. You wasted your time being tortured because I'm a pretty good person on my own. I pray for you and for me, we never have the I don't need you attitude towards Christ. But when he looks at you, he sees someone who says, Lord, I need you. I need you today. I'm going to need you tomorrow. And I'm a qualified sinner who's going to need you the rest of my life. So walk with me through my failures and my victories. Can we bow together? In your hand, you hold a piece of bread. Jesus said so clearly, my body will be broken for you. course they didn't fully understand what Jesus was really saying. But Jesus will be crucified and give his life for your sins. How loving is the Savior who knows you're going to do what you want to do and loves you and he forgives you forgives you and then in his grace he forgives you Lord help us to understand that we are not condemned that you have grace for us but Lord help us also to realize that it matters how we live that we need to go and sin no more Lord, I pray that the moments, the choices, the thoughts that displease you in our lives would become less and less and less the more we understand your grace. The scripture says we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Lord, we take this bread and we thank you for all the ways that you cover our sin. Let's eat the bread together. First John goes on to say this. If we claim we have no sin, we claim we have no sin we're not going to be sitting with Jesus at Matthew's party we'll be outside the gates with our arms crossed and our nose in the air 1 John 1 8 says if we claim we have no sin we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth but if instead we confess our sins to him he is faithful he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. 
Lord, today as we take time to drink this juice and to remember, Lord, that your blood was shed, that you were the atonement, the scapegoat, that our sin was placed upon you. Lord, we don't take it for granted. We need a savior. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Let's drink the cup. You know what communion does for you and for me it keeps us from getting self-righteous it reminds us of all the ways that our lives miss the mark and how we all need a savior no matter how many years you've been serving god listen if you keep tithing you keep sharing your faith you keep supporting the work of god around the world you send kids to camp you keep praying you keep living for the lord someday you get to the end of this ride called the human life And you get to look back and go, oh my goodness, did I get to be a part of all of that? Your life is going to accumulate one day. And on that day, I want to look back and say, there's many people in heaven because of me. There's many people that are no longer slaves in this world because of what I got to be a part of. Would you give? Would you serve? Would you live every day looking to impact somebody else's life wherever you are? And would you remember God's grace for your sin? Amen. And God bless you. Thank, for your incredi- thank you for your incredible spirit that you have. It's just a joy to be a part of a church like this. Be a blessing to somebody else. Be a blessing to people in the world this week. All right. God bless you. Have a great week.